Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Wishing you all the best. You know how much I appreciate how you have helped make this show such a success for such a long time period. And also to all of my friends around the world, uh, every country, all 17 that follow the show, and there are so many, Ireland, you know how much I love you, you have been so great, growing, growing every month with listeners, but really to all of you, thank you so much, you are helping me help other people. And Yoshiko Dark, I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. We think about uh, your husband, Justin, all the time. And I also want to thank Highmark, our lead sponsor for the past several years, David Holmberg, the CEO, uh, Deb Rice, the president, so many people, all of you. Uh, wow, you really are great great friends and have helped Voice America help so many other people. And last but not least, speaking of Voice America, I want to tell you about my great, fantastic engineer. Oh, is he awesome? Aaron Keller. Thank you, Aaron. Oh, my God, this guy. He probably knows more about disability than so many Americans because he's been taking care of my show for so long. So, Voice America, better take care of Aaron. And with that, this is National Epilepsy Month. National Epilepsy Month, and it's very personal to me since you know I am living with epilepsy and hear it now. I'm not ashamed I'm living with epilepsy, and I am just so proud, so proud to be on the board of the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA, and may I tell you how thankful we all are for Peggy Beam Jelly, the president and CEO. Peggy, I love you. You are making a difference every single day in the lives of those living with epilepsy. Peggy, welcome to the show. Well, Joyce, thank you so much, and and we absolutely adore you and are so, so thankful and and blessed to have you on our board of directors and working with us and guiding us uh, all the time. So thank you for having me. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to all of your listeners, and happy Epilepsy Awareness Month. Thank you so much. And before we start, Peggy, uh, we have a new name. And I just want to make sure our listeners know and understand that because really it does not impact in any adverse way any of our donors and listeners. But still, just so people do not get confused when I said the name Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA, would you mind sharing, you know, our new name Tell everyone about that and also what the alliance is that I know uh, we are part of. So our, our name, as you said, is the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central Pennsylvania. And um, we are now, the, uh, now part of the um, Epilepsy Alliance of America, which is um, a new <clears throat> excuse me, national organization that is dedicated to providing support 
and care and hope to those who are living with epilepsy on a daily basis. Um, it is essentially a group of state-based partners who are serving hundreds of thousands of people who are living with epilepsy and their families, um, caretakers, people who are um, dealing with epilepsy and coping with epilepsy on a daily basis. So um, epile- the, the change in the, the name is really just um, an indication that we are no longer an affiliate of the Epilepsy Foundation of America, no longer working with the Epilepsy Foundation of America, are keeping our focus on local supports and local services and um, working with Epilepsy Alliance America and other like-minded organizations that are really interested in working in local communities, local neighborhoods, and with families as close to home as possible. And I have to tell you... uh, we we are only moving forward. We have such, such a tremendous board of directors and a great chair who I just mentioned earlier, Deb Rice Johnson. And, you know, I've known Deb Absolutely. forever. Um, wow, what a success story she is. I don't know if, if you know this, but she started out in the claims customer service area, and here she is now the president of this huge organization. Uh, and she has been nonstop supportive. Wouldn't you agree with that, Peggy? Absolutely, absolutely. At, at some pretty critical times during the history of our organization as well. Yeah, as Deb has, is, um, Go ahead. No, I, I, I was just going to say, you know, Deb has just been such um, steadfast leadership for us. You know, I, I w- was thinking about this just a... A week or so ago, you know, Deb became the chair at, at a really critical time for for us um, when our former CEO was leaving. It, as you know, Joyce, it's, it's always when you have somebody like Judy Painter who is in a position like she was for as many years as she was during um, the tremendous growth of this organization experience when, with Judy Painter at the helm. You know, oftentimes during those transitions, um, nonprofits suffer greatly. And, and Deb was just amazing at, at working with me and, and the rest of the board of directors to kind of, you know, steer us through that transition. Yes, Judy, we love you. She has did so much for this organization, just as you said. You know, now that you brought that up, Peggy, here we are, Epilepsy Awareness Month, because so many people really do not understand epilepsy and are afraid of epilepsy. Would you mind telling our listeners, I know that story about the brown envelope, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've been working with um, epilepsy for almost 25 years now. And when I first started working with epilepsy, and even still today, we will get phone calls from people who don't want to give us their address, who don't want to be on our mailing list, or um, even still on occasion, but it was pretty common when I started working with epilepsy 20, 25 years ago that people would say to us, okay, you can send me that brochure. I'd, I'd really like to get more more information. I would like to be a better educated patient or I would like that information, but could you please make sure that you send it in a plain brown envelope or a plain white envelope? I don't want the Epilepsy Foundation's return address on the envelope because they were so fearful of anybody knowing that anybody in their home 
had any involvement with epilepsy, even the mailman. They didn't even want the mailman to know that anybody in their home might have epilepsy. There was so much stigma attached to epilepsy and having seizures that they didn't even want us to have a return envelope, a return address on our envelopes. Wow. And you know, I, when I travel around the world, uh, whether it's Kazakhstan, right. South Korea, Japan, uh, yeah. Indonesia, they're still at that level. They're they're not even to send me the brown envelope. I mean, they're don't even right. talk about it. Don't even want anyone to know. Uh, but sure. yeah, that sort of says a lot. And, and sadly, that stigma still exists today, which is why mm-hmm. I think it's so important uh, to have advocacy. Absolutely. Well, we we still I I still encounter. Um, families who, who will say to us, you know, sadly, you know, that they had never shared the information about their father having epilepsy or, um, you know, an older person in their family having epilepsy because the doctors told them not to, to share that information. Um, because people who have epilepsy and seizures are routinely discriminated against. I mean, I think that's where that comes from, although it's often a hidden disability you know, the insurance industry has denied people things like life insurance and car insurance and, you know, certainly in the in the employment arena, as you well know, it has been a huge problem for people with epilepsy. So I think people have not talked about it because it's been used against them. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, uh, and, and it is so sad. Well, back to our association. Uh, how much of Pennsylvania, where all do we work with? Where does the Epilepsy Association well, of Western and Central PA support? Well, we, we don't necessarily have, we no longer have necessarily a defined territory, so to speak, um, but we have traditionally worked in um, the 49 counties of Western and Central Pennsylvania. So, um, you know, generally speaking from Lancaster West, um, we have an office in in Camp Hill, so we're pretty active in that central region around Camp Hill, Harrisburg, Dawson County, Cumberland County, out in that area. We also are pretty active and have a staff person who is in Altoona, so we do a lot of work in Altoona State College, um, Johnstown, and, and uh, here in Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, we will do our best to work with anybody who is looking for help and support to cope with living with epilepsy. And if, and if we can't do it, obviously find somebody very close to home who can help help somebody. Right, right. Um, so that means anyone could contact us in the state. Tell sure. me, how, how, um, how many people in Pennsylvania live with epilepsy? Well, you know, that's a... That's always a challenging question for me to answer, Joyce, because in Pennsylvania, epilepsy, seizure disorder, it's not a reportable condition. So we don't, we only have, we always only have estimates. So I always say to people, you know, we know from the um, Institute of Medicine's report that one in 26 people have epilepsy. And that's a lot. So I always say to people, you know, Next time you go to church or, or you're in a grocery store or you're in a movie theater, look around you and think about the fact that one in 26 of those people are probably folks 
that could be living with seizures. Um, statistically, in Pennsylvania, I, you know, they say somewhere between 1% and 2% of the general population has an active diagnosis of epilepsy. So in Pennsylvania, I, I would say a minimum of 150,000 people have epilepsy, have an active diagnosis of epilepsy and are taking medication. But it could probably be as high as a, a little over 200,000. Oh, you yeah, know, I went, think so, too. If you use the entire 2%. Right, but it's difficult. It's difficult to pinpoint. I mean, that the, I can tell you that the last time the Department of Health conducted some surveys with school nurses, and they, they don't necessarily do it all the time, and they're not necessarily surveys that they're required to complete. But um, a couple of years ago, um, they did an assessment with school nurses and epilepsy. There were like nineteen thousand kids with epilepsy taking medication during the school day, and that's wow. a lot. That's a lot of youngsters. Number one and number two, that, that's a lot of those were kids who were taking medicine during the day, um, and oftentimes children aren't taking medicines during like throughout the school day. So if they're taking their medicine in the morning and at night, they may not have been reported. Right, and you know what? So, when when you think about it, think about me. You know, I went years ago to the my family doctor, and he misdiagnosed my epilepsy, sure. which, as you know, resulted uh, in a seizure that almost took my life. Now, right. that means there are other people that go to family doctors Absolutely. where their epilepsy is misdiagnosed. That's why I'm saying for so many yeah. reasons, I'm sure that number is higher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... um and I think the stigma is is responsible for that as well. I think that there are people who don't necessarily tell their doctors mm-hmm. that they're having seizures mm-hmm. because they don't want their driver's license to be suspended. Um, they don't want that information to be a part of their medical record. And as you know, Joyce, many, many people feel like Epilepsy and seizure means tonic-clonic grand mal seizure, and that's what they mm-hmm. think of as epilepsy. And there's so mm-hmm. many different types of seizures and, and so many things that can be happening with people that is actually seizure activity. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's complex partial seizure activity or absence seizure activity that just doesn't get recognized, as you say, by, you know, um, I think that's particularly true in, in older um, populations and aging populations, but um, absolutely better diagnosis is is needed, and um, better tre- better treatments are available today than they were. But um, getting to good specialists is always the best idea and the and, and the best approach to take to treatment for mm-hmm. folks. But yeah, but uh, you know, and and again. I, I think the I think the, the important thing is the important point is that sadly, if you visit the Centers for Disease Control website, their message is that there are more active cases of epilepsy today than there have ever been. Now, really, wow! If that's connected to better reporting, if that's connected to folks you know, maybe surviving head injury that they wouldn't have survived 
in years past. I'm not sure what that's connected to, but I can tell you that there are more and more people in this country living with seizures every day. Wow. You know, one thing that people... Getting a handle on that specific number is a little bit of a challenge, but we know that it is growing. Well, you know, I want to tell you something. I, I don't know why, but one of the most asked questions to me is about children using a seizure dog. I mean, people mm-hmm. ask me about this all the time, and I think and, so many of them really don't understand or have the wrong idea. I thought maybe you could explain, you know, what does a seizure a dog what does a seizure dog do for people uh, with epilepsy uh, which I prefer to call it when some everyone calls these dogs seizure dogs and I said to someone how about a service dog for someone with epilepsy like a service dog for someone who is blind or right. uh, do you know what I'm saying but yes, anyway absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what is a service dog for someone with epilepsy? What exactly is the purpose? So, as you know, Joyce, we have a program here at the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central Pennsylvania called the Oscar Program, um, where we provide service animals, service dogs, to people who have seizures. Um, in the last five years, we have placed 14 dogs. About half of those have been to um, school-aged youngsters or um, folks who are graduating from high school and going on to college. So about half of those dogs are in service with kids either in school or in college. Um, Just like anybody else with a disability, the specific things that those dogs do for the person with epilepsy can be very individualized. So the dogs, but they, they're, all tr- they're all trained to do some general things if they are going to work for somebody who's having seizures. So one of the most important things that they can do is summons help. So all of the service animals that we place are trained to um, bite down on... Um, buttons and alarm systems that will trigger those um, first responder alarms that, you know, somebody comes on the line and says, oh, you know, you have a problem. And if the person doesn't respond, then local EMS help is dispatched to that person's home. So they are all trained on how to do that. Um, We have one dog who was trained actually on how to swipe a VNS magnet, which is just the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Um, We have one dog who's with a young girl who's now in high school. She may actually be graduating this year. Um, And she has a special harness because she has a lot of side effects from her medications that make her balance kind of uneven and difficult for her going up and down steps. So, He actually provides her with some um, stability in her walking when she's going up and down steps, that kind of thing. Um, Some of the younger people that we have worked with who have um, rescue medications like a diastat or Versed, um, the dogs have been trained to go get the medication for the caregiver. So, in other words, the dog knows 
the person is having a seizure, they're going to need their seizure meds, they can be given a command by a caretaker to go to a certain location and get the little black bag and bring it back to the caretaker so the caretaker doesn't have to leave the person's side. Um, so it just, it just depends. We have one dog that was, that was tra- this I also found fascinating, was trained to kind of stay in place and kind of dig his heels in and not, not let his um, human partner walk forward when he was having absent seizures. So that allowed that person to become much more mobile in the community because he was, his family was just very, very concerned about him crossing streets and he was, lives in a fairly urban neighborhood. And having the dog be able to recognize that he was in control of his walking or walking aimlessly allowed him to go out and be more independent in the community. So um, all of the dogs that we have in service are either going to school or going to work or have allowed folks to go back to work. We have several who go to work with their, their partners every day. Um, so it just, it just kind of depends exactly what they need. They, and, and our dogs to the Oscar Project are actual, ser- like you say, they're service animals. So they're not just... Um, not that there's anything wrong with therapy dogs. Therapy dogs are, are phenomenal and, and wonderful. Um, but the distinction is that if an animal is a service animal, they have to be able to perform at least three separate tasks. Mm-hmm. So going to get help or summons help or biting down on the alarms for people, um, you know, providing stability, those kinds of things are all specific tasks related and you know what? And that is so amazing. That that all the examples you gave were so amazing, and you know it also has been helpful. Again, even the service dog trained as Peggy said in these different tasks, but also uh, adding to that for young people more confidence for them, because as you know, children with disabilities of any type are so bullied in school. As a matter of fact, more than any other group of people, high school kids and middle school with disabilities are bullied the most. So, you know, that dog even provides confidence. Do you know what I mean, Peggy? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it, it's it's really astounding the the social aspect of the confidence building and um, the self-assurance that the young people gain from working with these animals is almost beyond description because they have to be able to command the dog and work with the dog and build a bond with the dog in order for that to, you know, if you're going to work with a service animal, you really have to be able to be in command of that service animal. Um, and and it has a couple of the most of the people, but there there have been a couple of the the folks that have been in our program. Um, one young person in particular who was so 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 shy when she came into the program, she would hardly even talk in maybe a whisper and you know maybe shake your hand. But I mean, she was just almost painfully shy. She's had her dog. I think four years now, I think she was one of our first cohorts, 
and she, she's just a delight now. She, in fact, she, she and her dog both were actually in her high school play last year, which was just, uh, it just melted my heart. Um, oh, that's to know wonderful. that she had come so far, you know, she now, now she comes in our office and, she, you, you know, you think she runs the place. She's great. She's, she's so outgoing. She's become quite an ambassador. So, that is um, awesome. And it, yeah. It, it, go ahead, Peggy. I, I was just going to say she just is not, um, she's just not afraid anymore. You know, well, so many people who have epilepsy are so fearful all the time, and having that animal with them is really provides them a lot of reassurance that they'll, that they're going to be okay. Right, and you know what, um, Peggy? Just as we said, the stigma, the discrimination toward people with epilepsy, in so many ways, and sadly, of course the employment of people living with epilepsy. And right. I, always, I always tell companies, a child with epilepsy, here they are in school, they're bullied, you know, they're not included. You know very well, Peggy, how many times a parent does not want a child that's best friends with their child to come to a sleepover because they right. know they have epilepsy. And when you are not included, when you left out, and then it continues through high school, and then it continues through college, I always say to em- employers, when you don't hire people with disabilities, who is the bully now? So, right. you know, we've got to really fight this. We've got to fight for advocacy. And what a perfect time for our news break Advocacy Matters with my very good friend, Perry Jude Radisic, who, Perry, we are very thankful for you. I'm also on your board of uh, Pennsylvania Disability Rights, and I just want to tell you I'm so thankful for you. Disability Rights uh, PA is part of uh, the national organization. And protection and advocacy, fighting for people with disabilities rights. And Perry is at the forefront in the United States, fighting for our rights, fighting for our advocacy on every show because advocacy matters. Perry, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Joyce. And thanks, Peggy, for your work uh, and leadership in the area of education. And I want to stay on education today uh, because just a, a week or two ago, we had a new piece of legislation in Congress that was introduced by two members of the Virginia uh, uh, congressional delegation, Representative uh, Bobby Scott and Representative Don Byer, both from Virginia, introduced the Keeping All Students Safe Act. Now, because we're near the end, as we talked about last week, we're near the end of the 115th Congress, we certainly don't expect in the remaining few weeks of this Congress for this legislation to have a hearing and move quickly. But it does set us up for a hearing and movement in the 116th Congress. So let's take a look real quickly at the Keeping All Students Safe Act. If you want to know more about the Keeping All Students Safe Act, you can go to a website called 
StopHurtingKid.com. That's StopHurtingKid.com. So the legislation really focuses on three main areas. Establishing minimum safety standards in schools, supporting states by providing training to better ensure student safety, and to establish monitoring and enforcement systems. And in this way, we're talking about policies and procedures that are minimum standards that schools and law enforcement have to abide by when they're in the schools and giving competitive grants to school districts to do better when it comes to student safety. And then third, increase transparency, oversight, and enforcement to prevent further abuse and death when it comes to the school systems. And so what really are we talking about? We're talking about abusive seclusion and restraint chemical restraint, physical restraint of children in our schools when, when, when these children provide, uh, when, when these children uh, are not at risk of their own life or somebody else's safety. And so that's what we're talking about at the Keeping Students Safe Act. Uh, again, Representative Bobby Scott is the lead sponsor from Virginia. It's been introduced in this Congress. To find out more about it, you want to go to StopHurtingKids.com. We will have more information uh, like fact sheets and a section-by-section analysis on our website at DisabilityRightsPA.org. That's DisabilityRightsPA.org. And the great thing about the Disability Rights Pennsylvania and our sister agencies across the country, if there is a special education need related to seclusion and restraint or epilepsy, give us a call and we're happy to walk parents through what happens next, what they can do to be their child's best advocate because advocacy matters. Wow, that is very powerful Uh, Perry, when you're on over the following months, I hope you will keep us up to date on that. And when you were talking about this, I was waiting till you got to the part about seclusion uh, or restraining, actually harming a student for that reason. I was waiting till you got there because, Peggy, you know that's something we have to be concerned about with children. I, I was thinking about that. Do you want to comment on that one minute, Peggy? Well, I, I you know, I, I, I think that people need to educate themselves. I think that just like everything else in society is kind of out of whack and everything else is okay these days with so many people in a, in a heartbreaking way, I'm seeing and hearing more and more from people that children in schools, again, are being secluded and being treated in just a reprehensible fashion. Um, and, and, you know, people are going to have to open their eyes and use their voices to, and say this cannot happen and this cannot, you know, this cannot be done. Um, I, you know, 
I think chemical restraint is one issue, but I think people have to really pay attention to physical restraint and understand that as parents and as family members, we have to go into schools and educate people about how to properly educate teachers and bus drivers and and folks who are helping to care for and spending time with our children ourselves. It, it just is, you know, children die. I, I don't, yeah, you know, Perry, I mean, I, I don't. I, 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 I know. It's so upsetting. Perry, when you were talking about this, this really directly impacts kids with epilepsy because I can't begin to tell you how many people or parents have told me about their child being put in a uh, you know, closet at the school or being held down, uh, as Peggy said, which many of these things can result in death. So here's my question, Peggy. What do we do when we hear about that? I mean, sorry, Peggy, Perry, what do we do when we hear about that? So we're going to need those stories in the next, well, first of all, that should be dealt with by either a, a lawyer or an advocate or a protection and advocacy agency so that uh, that school district stops doing that. That's number one. The, the second thing, we'll need those stories as this legislation progresses in the 116th Congress so that uh, members of Congress know that this really happened and that this needs to stop and federal legislation uh, has to be There's across the country that will make the school districts accountable uh, uh, for uh, their actions. Well, absolutely. We will be happy to work with you on that. And I am really, really happy, Perry, that you brought this up. Uh, Once again, I just am so proud of you and everything you do. And Perry, I really appreciate you being on every week with this timely information. But one more time, your website. Yes, uh, our website is disabilityrightspa.org. And the website uh, for the Keeping Students Safe Act is stophurtingkids.com. StopHurtingKids.com. Got it. And Perry, uh, thank you and have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You too, Perry. Thank you so much for everything you're doing, Perry. Sure, of course. We'll talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. You know what? Isn't that terrible, Peggy? (laughs) So upsetting when you hear about that. We'll have to put that on on our website uh, that's stophurtingkids.com so they'll yeah. know people yeah. know about it. Yeah. It, it it is upsetting and I and and I, and I you know again if folks need help educating teachers, bus drivers, you know, scout leaders, coaches, whomever they about seizures and epilepsy, they can certainly call us. Um, we have terrific programs to educate folks about those things. You know, we can go in and do seizure recognition and first aid training. We work very closely with the school nurses in the schools. Um, We have some districts that, you know, it's kind of routine that we are part of their in-service training year after year after year. And there are other districts that it's, you know, kind of hard for us to get in there and and convince them that we have information that they need. So 
you know, if folks need information in their schools or in their community centers, they should certainly get in touch with us and, and uh, the Epilepsy Association and the Epilepsy Alliance will we'll provide those educational services, and they're free. So, you know, we're a nonprofit. We're not selling anything. We're not, you know, we're not charging school districts. All they have to do is take the time to, you know, sit down for an hour and learn how to properly respond to someone having a child having a seizure. Absolutely, and I would encourage anyone uh, hearing the show today, going through that, make sure, uh, Peggy, our website. Um, our website is www.eawcp.org. One more time. www.eawcp.org. And really, if you just put in Epilepsy Association of Western Central PA, go to Google. I'm sure it'll come up. But why I'm telling yeah. you this is if you you know you need help, reach out. We'll get back in touch with you. And when, Absolutely. And you know, Peggy, when uh, we're talking about advocacy and how advocacy matters and programs matter, this is really not a topic I like talking about next, but for some reason, it seems to always be in the shadows, and that is SUDEP. Um, and yeah. I know we're working in that area now, right? Aren't we going to be doing, or we have been working in this area? We are. We are. We are always trying to do something with SUDEP and always trying to talk about SUDEP. Um, SUDEP is Sudden Unexplained Death in Epilepsy. Um, it is very disturbing. It happens um, far more often than I think people realize. Um, some statistics, you know, actually not just from SUDEP, but it is always shocking, I think, for people to learn that more people die from SUDEP, seizures, seizure-related incidents, than people die from breast cancer in this country. And yet we don't talk about that. But sudden unexplained death and epilepsy is something that researchers, researchers still don't know a lot about, but it's devastating because what happens is an, a, a person with epilepsy or a patient with epilepsy um, essentially has a severe seizure in their sleep and, and they pass away while they're sleeping and their family doesn't know it. So you, you know, and it can happen to somebody whose seizures are completely controlled who hasn't had a seizure in a couple of years or it can happen to somebody whose seizures are completely out of control. Um, so, you, I mean, you can imagine how devastating that is. It can, you know, it happens to folks who have very, very small children who are infants. It happens to older adults. I mean, it just is one of those things that is tragic and horrifying, and yet for some unexplained reason, especially within the medical community, folks don't necessarily talk about it very much. Um, so there are some, we can't really say we can prevent it, but there are some things that we can do to work with families if they think that their family member might be at a higher risk of experiencing SUDEP, and we do know that there are some risk factors to be aware of. 
Um, so, for example, if a patient is on multiple medications, if their seizures really are not controlled, um, for some reason boys seem to be at a slightly higher risk than, than girls. Um, we did, there are a few things that you can do. So using, for example, a monitor, a movement monitor at night um, could possibly be helpful to let you know that your loved one is having seizures at night. Um, so we have a program to help folks, help make sure that folks who have a loved one or a family member who may be at high risk of experiencing SUDEP can get a movement monitor. Um, there are two or three different types. You know, different things work for different people and, and you know, their lifestyles and that kind of thing. Um, so, it, it, you know, there's a lot of research going on. There's some cardiac involvement, um, although I don't think we particularly understand that well. Um, or that the doctors understand it particularly well. But it's something that if you're a person living with epilepsy, I think you should talk to your doctor about it. Um, some doctors are very open to discussing it. Other doctors are not. So, it, you know, it, it just depends. But, um, again, it's, it's there. It's something I think that people should talk about. Um, you should know whether or not you are or you are not at risk of SUDEP or, you know, whether or not your loved one is a person who would be considered at risk of SUDAP. Um, and and if, you, if you are, you know, know what kinds of things you could do to maybe minimize that risk. Right, such as, don't stop taking your medication. Although exactly. no one, no one should stop. But I'm just saying, yeah. you know, yeah. if you know that it's going to be higher uh, you know, top priority. With and you know, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry though. I'm not sorry to talk about this, and I'm going to tell you why. It's kept in the dark. I don't get it. You could save a life just knowing. Yeah. Okay, if yeah. my if my child's at a high risk, probably isn't a good idea to stop taking medication, or my son probably shouldn't be drinking alcohol. I mean, there's so many things that you know that you need to know, or or really have at the such a high priority of making sure that you can handle what's going on. So uh, I'll right. tell you what, Peggy, I didn't even know about this for a long time. Here I am, I live with epilepsy, and I do not remember my, any doctor other than, of course, once I got on the board and knew people like Jim Valeriano. But for years and years, no one talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and nobody talked about death and epilepsy. You know, I, I can remember when I first started, again, working with epilepsy, which was, you know, again, almost 25 years ago now, but all of the literature, Joyce, all of the literature said, oh, nobody ever dies from seizures. People don't die from epilepsy. I mean, it, doctors never said it. Nobody ever said it. And yet here we were answering phone calls from family members who had lost a loved one to a seizure, and I finally, about a year, maybe a year and a half after I had started working with epilepsy, came in and said to my boss at the time, Judy Painter, 
I think we should stop telling people you're not going to die from epilepsy because clearly people can die from epilepsy. Um, and then, and we did. We, you know, we got with our professional advisory board, and then, you know, and and then it's been a, and it's been a battle ever since then. So it was, you know, well, on very very rare occasions, somebody might die from epilepsy. But over the years, and and now we know for certain that SUDEP affects a, a fairly large number. Relative, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, relative right. to other disease states, you know. Yeah, on one hand, there's stigma toward people with disabilities, you know, in reference to wanting to be around them or hiring them. And then mm-hmm. there's the stigma of not the medical professional not being forthright with right. the reality of the disability. It's amazing how that seems to go across the board. And this stigma is so entrenched in the way people think about epilepsy. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, Peggy. You know, where do you think that comes from? Well, again, I I think it started with probably, I mean, I I think it comes from a lot of different places, really. But I think it will, I'm hoping it will change over time. I think that it was a huge problem that, you know, even just 20, 25 years ago, physicians were still telling people well, this is what's happening. You have something called epilepsy, but don't ever say that to anybody because you'll never get a job. You'll never get insurance. You know, I mean, people were told by their doctors not to say that they had epilepsy, you know, and then as time went on, we went through the whole, well, we won't call it epilepsy. We'll call it a seizure disorder. You know, have you ever talked to somebody who said, well, I don't have epilepsy. I have a seizure disorder. And then if you talk to neurology people, they're like, well, that's like the distinction is not that great. I mean, if you're having reoccurring seizures, you have epilepsy. And so I'm hoping that the younger generation is going to save us from all things that are crazy in the world and that, you know, that that, that will help with the stigma. But, I mean, you know, when I talk to older folks, I you know, I always think about, this one particular gentleman who came from a fairly prominent family here in Pittsburgh, and and he came in one day and he sat down and he said, look, I have always sent you guys donations and I have always supported epilepsy, but I never told anybody why. And he he told us that he had epilepsy. And he was in his 70s at the time. And he came from a fairly large family, and he said, I've never, ever, ever admitted to anybody that I have epilepsy. And he said, but now that I know that Alan Fanica has epilepsy, and at the time Alan Fanica was still playing football for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he said, now that I know that Alan, if Alan Fanica has epilepsy and Alan Fanica thinks it's okay to have epilepsy, I think maybe I can, I can stop living in the dark and stop hiding this from people. And it was such a relief to this gentleman to just be able to say, this is why from time to time I don't drive. You know, I mean, he had spent his entire life making up stories and covering things up and not being able to just be up front with people and say, you know, I'm not going to be able to drive for the next couple of months because my seizures are active. Um, 
So, it, you know, I, I think when you can't get a job, when you can't get insurance, when it, it's a horribly expensive disease, um, you know, the medications are terribly expensive, the co-payments are terribly expensive, so, you know, folks are sacrificing in other areas of their life or they're sacrificing other things that their family might enjoy otherwise. I think there's a lot that people don't really understand what a seizure patient goes through, just in terms of their, day, you know, day-to-day life. Two things I want so to say. If, if Actually, you can, if you can not talk about it, why talk about it? Right. Three things I want to comment. Number one, I am, as you know, one of those people that the neurosurgeon told me when I said I had epilepsy. I mean, I felt as if I like said a very profane word because immediately, don't say that. Not, right. oh, Joyce, here, in medical terms, explain it this way. Don't say that. Honestly, as if he, it was mm-hmm. as if he was angry at me. He said, you right. have a seizure disorder. And when I left, mm-hmm. I mean, I was so naive. I was thinking, oh, okay, this must be different. Because he told me, don't right. say that. And it was when, as you know, I met Tony Quello and told him I had a seizure disorder that he said, no, you don't. You have epilepsy. And that was right. the end of that. So I know you're right because uh, mm-hmm. my doctor told me that after, you know, I had brain surgery. He told me that. Uh, I don't get that, but... Um, for whatever reason, that is the way it is. And then about Alan Fanica, who, what a great person he is. Never cared talking about that he had epilepsy. Never cared. Right. No big deal. It is amazing that when I met probably well-known now, like Vince Lombardi, of one of the greatest coaches of all time, Chuck Knoll. And right. when I met him... And I told him about my disability. Oh, my goodness. He was so nice to me and so over the top nice to me. <laughs> and uh, I had no idea why. I mean, I thought, wow. He's... And then there was some um, oh, auction and we. I, it was a golf outing where you could go golfing with him. And I gave this to my husband and oh my god you know to my husband it was a one a million dollars sure and again he was so over the top nice about me and what i do as you well know we didn't find out he had epilepsy only a few years before he passed away so there you go another example yep another example of that and I, and I think that's really damaging to the epilepsy movement that people who do live with epilepsy, who are successful, who have been able to cope with it and have strategies to share, aren't willing to stand up and say, hey, you know, epilepsy is what you have, not who you are. But again, there, you know, there are reasons for that. Um, and a lot of them, frankly, I think, revolve around the insurance industry. I mean, I know that there's some people in the entertainment industry who have seizures that have kind of toyed with getting involved. I mean, I think Danny Glover has, has 
talked about the fact that he had seizures when he was younger and has probably would be more involved if he could be, but, you know, then he goes to make a movie and the people who are insuring the movie are like, well, what's the deal with his epilepsy? Do you, don't you? We don't want the liability of somebody being on the set and having a seizure. I mean, Amazing. what other health condition has to, de- has to deal with that kind of stuff? I, know, I mean, do they I say know. that about people that have heart condition? I mean... Yeah, I know. I know, Peggy. Well, Peggy, I know we're almost to the end of the show. We've talked about all of this. That means that we have to end on an extremely good note, and that would be the Mardi Gras. Best, <laughs> best event in Pittsburgh. Best event, best gala, hands down. So this is when it's uh, obviously a fundraiser for the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA. As I mentioned earlier, this year, oh, this is so exciting because it is our 25th anniversary and the king of the Mardi Gras, Deb Rice Johnson. When is the Mardi Gras? Um, March 5th. I think it's late this year. It's usually in February, but it's a little bit later this year. Okay, so, so it, um, I'm West sorry, End Convention Center Hotel, which I, get, I don't think it's the West End anymore. I apologize. Um, but here in Pittsburgh, it's a great, as you said, it's a great event. It's great fun. Um, we, you know, create our own little New Orleans here with uh, decorations and masks and beads and music and a great dinner. And um, we are thrilled to be honoring Deb. She is the best. She is she the is best. And, and I'm going to tell you, you better make your reservation soon and buy a table because it's sold out early all the time. <laughs> so, Peggy, one absolutely. more time before we close. The website is? Our website is www.eaw. I would appreciate it over the holiday season as you're thinking about making a contribution please make a contribution to our Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA you all know I'm headquartered right here in Pittsburgh and it certainly is personal to me but Before we go, we end every show with a quote, and this quote, how timely can this be, is from Mr. Rogers, who said, Love isn't a state of perfect caring. It is an active noun, like struggle. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is right here And now, said Fred Rogers, this is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, with Peggy Beam Jelly. Thanks, Peggy. On voiceamerica.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Look forward to talking to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.